Hey, Pastor John here. Welcome to the Consume Church Weekly Podcast. I hope you enjoy this message more than a feeling. For any further information about this message or the ministries of Consume Church, you can check us out at theconsumechurch.com. Good to see your faces. Oh, I was just thinking about we were caught up in that song, holy, holy, holy. There's no one like you. There's no one like you. I mean, part of the holiness of God is that he's a community. He's a family within himself. <laughs> who, who else in heaven and earth thinks of the community and the family that they're in more highly than themselves, always considering one another? sharing co-equal in glory, three persons. Wow. I mean, we could spend the rest of our life just meditating on how amazing this reality of the Trinity is. But, you know, I don't know, dude. I am more and more intentionally uh, spending time developing a relationship with each one of the persons of the Godhead. You know that's healthy. It's really, really healthy for you to realize that God is actually in three persons, even though he's perfectly one. That's holy. (laughs) That's unlike any other thing in heaven and earth. Any other created being. We don't normally think like that. That kind of set the tone for this morning. Really good. I love the, uh, the worship set. I love the song selection. I didn't have anything to do with that, but I just love the inner workings of the Holy Spirit, how... We begin to worship him, and he's already speaking before I get up to say anything. So that's, that's, a, that's a wonderful thing. So worship team, I think they're out debriefing. That's what they do, talk about how things went. And uh, thank you very much if you can hear me. You guys did an amazing job this morning. So I have a message this morning uh, about feelings, and the title of my message is More Than a Feeling, uh, and how we feel our way through the kingdom of God. And I, I love our expression There are probably other expressions in the body of Christ uh, and have historically uh, tried to shut down the the emotional side of interacting with God, and I'm just so glad that we don't do that. (laughs) I'm glad that we get to experience God. We get to sense his presence. We get to feel him, and I just want to attempt this morning to bring some balance because if that's all that our experience is in the kingdom, that... Uh, it will actually leave us dry, right? Or or leave us falling short of actually hitting the mark that God's called us to because how many of you know when you leave here on Tuesday and you're at work and your boss yells at you, you don't have a worship band singing holy in the background, right? Uh, He's probably more singing the Son of Suffering song. And um, anyway, so, but how do we deal with that? I, I, um, I just wanna talk about that subject matter and I wanna declare that our experience, our kingdom experience is so much more than a feeling. And how do our feelings actually help us navigate? Where do they fit in our salvation experience? And I want to make a statement before I even get started that uh, I know I've been uh, picking on and using the word soteriology the last couple of times uh, that I've spoke, and soteriology is the study of 
what we can know about salvation. What must one do to be saved? And I just wanna make the statement that you cannot separate the reality of the kingdom and soteriology. And so when you hear me speaking about what it means to be saved, it's all kingdom language. And I'm, I'm really pumped up and I'm really excited. Tuesday night, uh, I'm gonna teach about the implications of kingdom on salvation and what does it mean that we're saved? People uh, have their opinions and different ways in which that they break down scriptures in the Bible to talk about different elements and aspects of salvation. Uh, and I'm just gonna give you a teaser today, but if you come on Tuesday night, we will go really in depth about things like uh, reconciliation and justification and atonement and redemption and all those big words that mean uh, aspects of our salvation. But today, I'm just gonna talk about feeling and, and not feeling. And so we have kind of a, a running joke. You, you see people um, motivated and, and moved by how they feel all the time. And um, we have a running joke at one of the shops where we would say, man, I'm just not, not feeling it today. You know, That means I'm not really gonna try today. I'm just, you're just lucky that I've showed up to, to do my job. And uh, does anybody ever feel like that? You, you just got that, I am not feeling it today. You know, it's funny how we, as a, as a culture and a society, we, I, I feel like we've just begun to get really wimpy. And it's the pressures of the world telling you how wimpy you are. And uh, so please don't take offense to this. But I mean, you know, when we have mask mandates and, and uh vaccine mandates and the, the threat of fear that you are susceptible to dying. This is the human condition that we're all a part of. We know that we will eventually die one day, lest the Lord returns and we don't have to experience that. Uh, but it's that fear of dying that keeps us bound uh, to this fleshly body. This I'm gonna bring that up in a few minutes, but the flesh that Paul calls it. Basically, what we want to do the decisions that we want to make. And uh, oftentimes we have feelings that come into that that dictate how we're gonna navigate. So anyways, as the pressures of the world are on the church, there's a different way that we get to live outside of whether you feel like it or not, amen? That we're called to. Now Paul says weird things like work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Where do we put that in our theology? You just throw that one kind of off to the side, and I'll deal with that someday. Maybe the Lord will reveal to me what that's supposed to mean. But I'd like to take a, a, a stab at it. I'd like to take um, an approach at salvation and, and how it relates to how we feel about things. Um, speaking of the wimpy in our culture, you know, we, we, uh, we had a, an ice day. What was that, Thursday? And it was amazing to me because I went out early in the morning and it was freezing rain. In Texas, you never know. So I don't blame anybody for taking precautions. You know, last year we had the crash on the, on the um, toll road that took lots of lives. And I think that has so traumatized us that we would be super careful. Did y'all notice on Thursday, if y'all even got out, you probably didn't because I was one of the few on the road, that there was nobody on the road. And based on the traumatic experience that we all experienced last year, uh, we decided we better not go out. As a matter of fact, the whole town shut down because we have actually begun to become a society and a community that's actually, whether we realize it or not, being 
uh, dictated or driven by fear based on the trauma that we experienced. Because I'm not, I don't want to take away from the reality that I know people have died of COVID. It's very traumatic. Lost some, some loved ones over that. So I'm not trying to uh, poke that. But I, I, I think that the word of God says that the righteous are bold as a lion and the wicked flee when no one's even pursuing them. That there's something about boldness in the spirit that even though we've suffered some things, that we can actually have a boldness. So I'm not really talking about whether you go out on a nice day. But it's funny because on Thursday, there was no uh, fast food open, and I was hungry. And the only place it was open was Whataburger. <laughs> there was a long line, and the last time it iced when it was real ice because Thursday wasn't really much ice. I mean, there was, there's a lion in the streets, you know, the proverb says. <laughs> you know, let's not go out. We could die. And I went out, and it really wasn't that bad. I do confess... Sorry for the rabbit trail. I do confess, I went up to my place of business and, you know, I let the employees come in at one and I was saying, you know, here we are. It's just wet. It's just wet out. There's no ice. Here we are worried about all this stuff. What if we become a, you know, a wimpy society? And I step out of my truck and slip. <laughs> and uh, the manager that, that runs the, the body shop for me, you know, I had been texting back and forth, calling him, talking to him because I let him make those decisions. And uh, I said, don't laugh, but I just slipped and busted my tail, you know, but then I walked, we have a three acre compound, you know, three acre chunk of concrete where this place is at, and uh, of all the places where I parked my truck is right in front of a garden hose that somebody had left on, and so that's why it was icy right there, so I was still right, you know, but, uh, but anyway, so I, you know, I was I, sorry, I went to Whataburger, and I, and I order a thing, and I, uh, you know, a meal, and I roll down the window, and there's this attitude that was permeating what I noticed that day and even the next day on, uh, was that Friday? Yeah. Just that I ain't feeling it. I do not want to be here. Everybody else gets a break. Why don't I get a break? Well, Whataburger's now owned by Chicago and people up there, they're used to ice. They're like, give us a break, you know? Uh, but anyways, the, 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 it's funny. The lady was like, I, I can't hear it. She heard just fine the number five, but when I said with uh, no onions and no tomato or, or no lettuce, I'm sorry, I can't hear you. And I said, are you kidding me right now? You heard the number five, you heard the drink, but you didn't, you know, that's what you, that's what you say. Your slogan is just like you like it. That's why you're here, literally why you're here. Anyways. <laughs> right, right. And, you know, it, to me, it just, I could be wrong. Maybe she couldn't hear me. I don't know how because I had my head out the truck with the motor off, yelling at the thing. But, um, <laughs> but it was that attitude, you know, don't tell me to do something different. We're stamping out number fives over here, you know. Now I got to stop and take your lettuce off. Don't ask me to do something more. You're lucky I'm here this morning. You know, everybody else in town is closed. Poor me, I got to be at work. The next day, I go through Chick-fil-A. Even Chick-fil-A, God's house was closed, you know. <laughs> God's drive-thru was closed. I thought, wow, that's, that's something. But, you know, those guys, they stand outside. And so the next day, it was still cold. It was one degree above freezing. I go through Chick-fil-A, and I noticed that there's four people outside. They're all younger. And, you know, the guy's just like, what do you have? And I thought, well, that's different. Usually, their, their whole... Uh, uh, model, their whole marketing campaign, what makes them great is their customer service, right? There's something different about Chick-fil-A. Believe it or not, this is going somewhere. There's something different about Chick-fil-A. You know, it's, 
Right, and, and I said, hey, look at the bright side. It's one degree above freezing. He says, yeah, my fingers are dead. <laughs> and he's got gloves on, you know, but his hands are cold. I mean, God bless him. I, I get it, you know. Uh, but as a, you know, money-paying customer, I don't want to hear that, really. You know, I'm coming to Chick-fil-A for the experience. It's not for chicken. I could go anywhere and get chicken, right? I come up to the next person, and they're volleying back and forth with, oh, it's so cold, and they're talking to each other, and here you go, you know, with the receipt. And I thought, this is just a different experience when stuff gets hard. And I get to the lady that hands me the bag, and she says, have a careful day. I'm like, no, I'm going to have a blessed day. That's the line. (laughs) That's the whole reason why you're here. It's not to make chicken. (laughs) I could get chicken anywhere. You bless people when they come through this place. That's the magic. That is the blessing that is on that house. Okay, what's that got to do with more than a feeling? But there's something about, there's something about our lives and the way that we carry out our lives that we can have that attitude when we're just not having a good day. And you know what? I, I get that. We don't always have great days, right? Can we just admit that? Sometimes we're not feeling it. We don't always have the worship band in the background, you know, singing holy, holy, holy. Uh, all right, enough about the humor. So our kingdom experience is not defined by feelings, believe it or not. If our kingdom experience was based on feelings, imagine Jesus knowing that he was going to the cross and he's in the garden extremity and he sees very well the cup that he has to drink, so much so that he's wrestling with it that he's sweating drops of blood. And he says, not my will, but yours be done, Father. So I love the feels. I I want the feels. I'm so glad that we have uh, an expression. We have discovered a way that we can come in and we can sense God in our midst. Can we not? And I'm so grateful for that. You know, uh, Brad brought up our our, uh, intercessory, uh, prophetic intercession that we do on Saturday mornings. And y'all, that's like having church. I mean... We don't have a worship band going on, but we begin with exalting and declaring and going right before the throne and acknowledging who God is, and then we get his heart on what he wants to pray, and that's how we pray. That's what we call it prophetic intercession, and oh my goodness, yesterday was so amazing when we, we prayed for close to two hours. Normally, we kind of cut it off at an hour and a half, but nobody wanted to leave, because the, the presence of God, the spirit of God is so enthralling to be in his presence when you've surrendered your will to, to do that very thing, to pray what he wants to pray, where you're hearing his voice. The more that you press in and do that, the more that as you're partnering with him, that's all you see, that's all you hear. And it is overwhelming for our flesh, for our mind and for our spirit to be in caught up in that, and there's nothing like it. Uh, We can do that here in church, and we do, and we're going to do that kind of here at the end. We're going to do that together because it's important that we do, but I'm painting a picture of why it matters, okay? Uh, But it was awesome when we, we, because we gather, I say that, we kind of are walking around the sanctuary, pacing around, just declaring and praying out loud, and everybody kind of takes a turn, and we're just riding the wave of the Spirit, but then we come together at the end, and when we came together and we touched and held hands, man. It was like a nuclear warhead of the love of God went off and an awareness of our being grafted into the family of God, being 
united with him because we're in Christ, right? We're in Christ. We're part of him. Together we are part of him. And being that, that we are seated at the right hand of the Father, we're there in that heavenly place. We actually get to participate in the fullness of God. Whoa, I mean... There's nothing like it when you get to experience that. And and the Christian life is all about pursuing that and leaning into that, being a part of that, applying it to everything that you do, every experience that you have, whether you feel it or not. Preach it. Okay, so feels are not the basis or the litmus test of whether God is present or whether God is in something. I'm a firm believer and I don't want to make any kind of big decisions. I'm getting to where I don't even want to make small decisions without having a sense of understanding that that this is something that God is in. Although there's a freedom to know that once you know the Father's heart, there's, there's a latitude you have where, you know, I don't have to ask him, should I buy this toothpaste or that toothpaste? But... The big stuff, I want to know that, I, that I'm walking with the Lord, that I'm tracking with what he's got. Um, I had a, I've got a friend that when he would be talking about the Lord and, and talking about his interaction with the Lord or whether God was doing something miraculous in his midst or whatever, he would always, as he's talking, he would just stop talking and hold his arm out there and his hair would stand on end. And he, that, was, that was the proof. That was the proof. God's there. God's in it because I'm feeling it. And, uh, you know, I... I I thought that that was kind of a caricature. You know, I mean, I love that when the Holy Spirit actually rocks our flesh to the point where things like that happen. Um, you know, because doesn't the word say that our heart and flesh cry out for you, the living God? I, I really believe that more than food, more than water, more than oxygen, we need the Lord. He's what animates us. He's what gives us our, our whole entire life. In him, we move and live and have our being, Amen. But there's more than the gooseys involved <laughs> in experiencing what God has for us. So my, uh, my youth pastor, it was so liberating. I received Christ in my, in my teen years. I had been raised in a Christian home, but had a serious backsliding moment. Uh, very confused young man. But I met the Lord in a powerful way. And you've probably heard me tell some of that testimony. But while I was a teenager and... The next step for me, I wanted everything in God. I just didn't want to feel safe like I skidded across the, the finish line and said, "Woo, okay, I'm not going to burn. No, I actually wanted everything about God. I wanted my life to completely change. And do you understand that salvation is just that? It's not just uh, doing what we've got to do so that we won't suffer penalty. It's actually a whole new way of life. It's like a whole new world, everything changes when you receive Christ. When you step into being one with him, being part of his nature, you've actually been transferred into the kingdom of light or the kingdom of his dear son, the word says, and taken from the kingdom of darkness. And I wanted every bit of that when I got saved. So guess what's the natural progression after having said the prayer, having started going to church and read my Bible, well, it's to, to find uh, a coach. To, I say coach to get coaching, to be discipled. And so my youth pastor at the time, this guy was intense. He was so intense. He used to like spit and slap his hand when he preached. He was a raised AG, so he had an AG background. He was wonderful, but this guy was all about fulfilling your destiny and being called to the ministry. 
commitment and consistency, commitment and consistency. That's what he would preach, you know. And uh, it was so healthy for me to hear this statement from him. He would say, you're not obligated to your feelings, but you are obligated to your convictions. And it, it was life for me because I had lived much of my life with my family dynamic, my parents and my siblings and all that, where it's just all this, you know, we're Italian, okay? So it's just, ah, you know, and everything was, ah, whether it be good or bad, you know? And my, my dad was actually bipolar, so you can imagine he set the tone for the house. And so, well, seriously, I mean, uh, maybe some of you could be bipolar or you know people that are bipolar or whatever, or a family member, and it's, it's hard to live in an environment where everything that happens is all about how you feel. So as a matter of fact, discipline, uh, when disciplining the kids, it was whether or not they made you mad, not whether or not it was actually the right thing that they did or the wrong thing that they did or worrying about the development of that child, but you're getting on my nerves, you know? How many of you raised like that? You know what I'm talking? There's no shame in that. It's just, just what, the way it was. And when he told me that I was not obligated to how I feel, there was just like this freedom that came all over me like, whoo, I didn't know that. I thought that I actually had to act on impulses of how I felt at the time. And so I think that we can go into our Christian life with that perspective, you know. If the Lord has called us and he's filled us with his spirit, if he's actually transferred us from one kingdom and put us into the next kingdom and that salvation and kingdom can't be separated, that your salvation isn't about just having a, a card punched but it's actually becoming a part of a whole new kingdom. I'm laying out some of what I'm doing Tuesday. That it's different. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't matter whether you feel it or not. The reality is the same, that God is who he said he is. I want to, and I am who he said I am. Amen? You are who he says you are. Whether you feel like it or not. You're not how you feel. How you feeling? How we feeling? My youth pastor's name was John Collins. What a youth pastor. He was way more than a youth pastor, but we were blessed to have him for a few years as a youth pastor. Commitment and consistency. That was his message. Commitment and consistency. And his point was that the world needs to see out of the body of Christ commitment and consistency. If all we do is operate based on how we feel about things, we're being nothing but flaky. The, the world doesn't need to see flaky. The church doesn't need flaky. The church needs commitment and consistency. Uh, sorry if I just stomped on some toes a little bit. I'm preaching to myself. I'm preaching to myself. I'm thankful that I had uh, the discipleship experience that I did with that man. There's a few things he did that wounded me. Because, <laughs> uh, you know, that can happen when you're that intense. All right, so I want to talk about convictions for a minute. Our convictions are created and established uh, by what we've heard and what we've accepted as truth. The truth that we actually live by, that's what your convictions are. We can say that our convictions are uh, evangelism, but if we never evangelize anybody then we're really not uh, being honest with ourselves that that's a conviction, right? If prophetic is our conviction that 
There should always be a prophetic word or whatever. This is just me grabbing at straws here. Whatever it is that we say that our convictions are, our real convictions are actually based on what we've heard and that we've accepted as truth and that we have decided that we will live by. You can write that down. That's free. The right conviction, this is why we're talking about having a biblical worldview, why it's important, why we're teaching this, why we believe God has called us to have a, a school of ministry here at the church. It's in its development stages right now, but we're starting to really pick up steam. But why it matters is because a good, solid bunch of conviction needs to be grounded in a worldview that's based on what has he said, how has he revealed himself through history and through the scriptures, what his word is, what his assignment is, because part of being in this great kingdom that is salvation is walking in assignment. You're not here just as a a bystander or a spectator. It's actually uh, something that we get to participate in. As a matter of fact, we are called into be a part of this kingdom, this train that is moving forward, so to speak. Convictions are the stuff of faith. Convictions are foundational. And we are absolutely governed by our convictions. Y'all still with me? We got that. Has anybody got some convictions in the room? All right. Here's the wonderful news. Uh, I don't remember who originally made this quote. There's Everybody says this, but... Feelings are powerful servants, but terrible masters. We actually have the opportunity and the responsibility of taking our emotions, our affections, our feelings, and setting them on him. We're commanded in scripture to actually set our affections on him or to set our mind. I want to break that down in Romans 8 here in a minute. But we get to choose where we set our affections. And this is really where the rubber hits the road about the two kingdoms and the difference between this amazing God who is in three persons that is holy, but makes him different where he sets his affections and how he relates within himself and how he relates to those in whom he is brought into that kingdom. So let's look at Romans chapter eight. I will probably... Go into that a whole lot more Tuesday. I'm going to do a whole lot more of Romans 8. I, I had the, you know, half of that chapter in my notes and thought that may be too much to try to unpack because I want to do some stuff in Joshua here in a minute, but too much to unpack uh, on Sunday morning. But let's start in verse 5. You know, Paul has just gone from a place... Um, In Romans chapter 5, do you all remember Romans chapter 5 where he talks about being blessed when you're suffering persecutions? I mean, the subject matter is he makes this argument from chapter 5 all the way down through the end of chapter 8 is just this hanging in there when you don't feel like it, believe it or not. And he talks about how blessed we are when we push through and when we persevere. But... He also talks about how that's even possible. And there's a lot of theology in there, but in six and seven, you know the argument, and I beat this up a few, a few months ago, but 
the argument that he has about I don't do the stuff that I know I'm supposed to do and I keep doing stuff that I know that I'm not supposed to do and I've come to this conclusion that there's a war going on inside of me between how I feel and what I know I'm supposed to be doing and so he realizes that the body, the flesh, he calls it, is actually bound in death because our bodies are all going to die. Y'all realize that? And fear of dying is what keeps us in a state of, apart from a spirit-filled life, keeps us in a state of self-preservation, self-gratification, looking for ways to perpetuate whatever our desires, I say fleshly, I mean, it can go all the way into creepy stuff uh, because that's where it ultimately lands, but just boils down to being an independent agent, having taken the apple off the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and making up for our minds for ourselves what our convictions are going to be apart from the word, the voice, the spirit of God, and what he has said as an amazing father and being a part of this incredible family where you're completely in submission to one another. Y'all tracking with me? That's the basis for Paul's argument. He's like coming to this place. I know he's talking about the law and he's talking about the 10 commandments. And so that's kind of his point of reference. But then he says in Romans chapter eight, or right at the end of seven anyways, I I figured it out. There's a war going on inside of me. And who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Huh. And the answer is that we have been transferred into this other kingdom. You're not under the law anymore, the law of sin and death, because you got pulled out of that because Christ came and he brought the kingdom of God where the presence of God is back on the scene, which Israel had experienced for years when they were walking with him. That was the kingdom of God and everything that they experienced, so long as they were in relationship with him, was power and glory and different, completely holy, completely different than all the other gods of the world and all the other nations would look and go, whoa, and the fear of them would be all over because they could see that the God of Israel was the God of power and the God of might. And as they were subjected to him, as they walked in relationship with him, as they obeyed his law, they actually shone forth. They were a light to the nations. He didn't change his mind about that assignment. They're the light to the nations and we got grafted in. We're also a light to the nations. But guess what? There's no doing that in our flesh because our flesh just wants to do what it wants to do. And it's going to die. But he has rescued us and transferred us into his amazing kingdom where the presence of God is actually what fills us and guides us and dictates how we actually uh, move and live and have our being. Amen? Okay, I was going to read some scripture. Uh, Romans 8, 5. This is after he's answered the, the, the question, who will save me from this body of death? Thanks be to God. You know the, that um, the law of sin and death is no longer applicable, but there's therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. So that sets us up for verse five. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. 
For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. I want to talk about this word, um, set the mind. This is interesting because it's phronio in the Greek. It means to exercise the mind, to entertain or have a sentiment or opinion. Sounds a lot like conviction, doesn't it? By implication, it means to be mentally disposed uh, more or less earnestly in a certain direction. We're talking about conviction. Uh, Intensively, it means to interest oneself. It means to concern oneself with concern or obedience to set the affection on. So basically, he's saying that, look, we set all of our eggs in this spirit basket into the Holy Spirit. It's as simple as being in relationship with the presence of God, with the Holy Spirit himself, and actually being minded towards his agenda based on, like Brad said, he's the one that made the rules, but that we seek what he is seeking. You know, we can do that more than on a Saturday morning between 8 and 10 a.m., that our whole lives, that that's what it means to actually be a Christian, The flesh, they use the word flesh there. So the, the, the flesh is, is not like our skin, okay? Not so much the way he's using it, okay? And it's not the, the body itself, but it's the this worldly orientation that all people share. Being oriented towards this world. You know, I, uh, often the, the word for world in the Bible or in the New Testament is ion, and I've probably beat that up several times, but Ion is, is more this age, even though it's translated world, but the, the world systems are those that he has conquered and that are coming to an end, okay? And that we are entering into Zoe, eternal life, the life of God, rather than this world system. We're talking about the, the culture, the passions, all the things that we entertain ourselves with, that we consume ourselves with or fill our time with, Uh, that is actually self-preserving, self-gratifying, self-serving. Y'all tracking with me? I'm like, preacher, we heard this a thousand times. (laughs) We know, we're all Bible students. Hallelujah. I just got to say it again, say it out loud. Because I want to encourage you that if stuff is hard, because stuff does sometimes get hard, that it's not about whether you're feeling it or not. If God's called you to something which he does, he gives us assignments. When we're in assignments, press on, press on. Don't give up. But hear the voice of the Lord. What is he saying? How does he want to peel this apple? Uh, Let's go down just a little further. Skip some verses. Romans 8 again, 13 through 17. Verse 13 says, For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Setting your convictions on what he wants to do instead of what I want to do. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. That's interesting. Our identity is connected to our relationship with him and how we've established ourselves. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Right? Right? Fear is what controls us. 
when you realize that you've already died with him, there's nothing to be afraid of. <laughs> but you have received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry, Abba, Father. It means Daddy. <laughs> ah, no one knows, you like, knows me like you. Hallelujah. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. That is huge. But how many of you know we like to, we like to look at Romans chapter 8 and we grab a hold of there's therefore now no condemnation. And we can even deal with some of the stuff. Yeah, we know. We, we get to live in the Spirit. We love the Spirit. And then we come down and we say, uh, Abba, Father. The Spirit cries out. And yet there's more to Romans 8. How do you reconcile? Right there in the middle, it starts talking about all of creation is watching. It's groaning with birth pangs, waiting to be liberated because it was subjected. It was subjected in hope that all of creation was subjected to corruption and bondage. What do those things have to do with one another? It has to do with, at the fall, the devil got the right to use death to control you. And at the cross and in his resurrection, he took back the keys. All authority in heaven and earth belongs to Jesus. The devil has been dethroned. And we don't live in that kingdom anymore. The only way that he can be throned is if you put him up there. Now I stopped halfway through verse 17. Verse 17 says, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Hallelujah! I'm a child of God. I have a new identity. Wait a minute, there's a comma. Provided we suffer with him, in order that we may also be glorified with him. Now, when I talk about suffering, I don't think anybody's going to be nailed to a cross. Although, man, what kind, of a, what kind of an honor would that be? Was it Peter or Paul? I think it was Peter that said, I'm not even worried, you know, he did, was on an X-shaped cross, upside down, whatever it was. Don't hang me like him. I'm not worthy to suffer like that. That his closest followers actually embrace this idea that, you know what, because there's still evil in the world and because it's still part of the kingdom to confront that evil, sometimes stuff gets hard. Does it mean that God wants to put you through that? No. No, not at all. But yet, this present suffering is not worthy to be compared with the glory which will be revealed in us. Not even worthy. least I could say is have a blessed day. <laughs> I know it's cold outside. <laughs> that poor girl. Uh, our identity, our having been brought into the family of God to be in the council, to be completely covered up in Christ to be seated right there at the right hand of God where we ought to be putting our time and our affection and our attention. Actually, that is our identity. That is our position in Christ. It empowers us to do the Father's will. Gladly. Because it's, it's just wonderful. Even if we're 
so not wanting to do it that we're sweating tears of blood. Sweating blood. Was it tears or blood? Sweat. Sweat. I can't even imagine that, but that's intense. I'm sure there's someone here that's um, in the medical field that could explain that, but um, I've heard somebody talk about that before. Uh, Okay. Shift gears here a little bit. So the point of all this is that we actually get to control our feelings and our emotions. Otherwise, being established on our convictions of responding and building up ourselves in the Lord to have uh, responded to, uh, to the word of God. That's how we operate. We, like Brad likes to say, we get to. We get to. <clears throat> Joshua. Does anybody like the book of Joshua? All right, I'm going to read just a little bit from Joshua before I wrap this up. Got to have an Old Testament example too. Joshua chapter 1. Give you a minute to get there. Oh, somebody sent me a funny meme. The preacher says, uh, so go to Habakkuk chapter 3, and then he immediately starts reading, and everybody's like, time out, where's Habakkuk? <laughs> Come on, preacher, give me a minute. Uh, Joshua chapter 1, starting in verse 2. And as you know, oh, here we go. As you know, the children of Israel had been delivered from Egypt, had had this amazing experience of the giving of the law on Mount Sinai. They had actually uh, spied out the, the promised land that God took them to and uh, were afraid. And so that whole, uh, because of the giants in the land, and that whole generation had passed away before the next generation rose up. And even Moses himself had a day where he wasn't feeling it and he decided to strike a rock. And the Lord says, because of that, you don't get to go. You can be buried on a mountain and you can watch as they are, your bones will watch, I suppose. Uh, you can see the promised land from here. But Joshua and Caleb, those two of all the spies were the only ones that said, surely we can take this land. We can look at things one of two ways. Giants, or we can go, giants, we can do it. And so Joshua now is in charge. And the Lord is saying in verse two, Moses, my servant is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people into the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you. Just as I promised to Moses, No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Would y'all like a promise like that or what? Whoa. Just as I was with Moses, that's the key, (laughs) because the Lord was with him. So I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Put your thumb on that. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land. I say put your thumb on that too. (laughs) that I swore to their fathers to give them. Verse seven, this is important. Only be strong and very courageous. Here he is telling him how to manage his heart. Telling him how to manage his heart. Only be very strong, only be strong and very courageous. Being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, 
but you shall meditate on it day and night. He's establishing convictions, okay, that are based on the presence of God. So that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. Verse nine, have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous, do not be frightened and do not be dismayed for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Whether you feel it or not, he said, look, take your convictions, take your feelings and make them this. Based on the testimony that you already know, you already know that I'm with you. This is how you're to walk. This is how you're to think. That's a, that principle still applies to us today. It still applies to us today. He will never leave us or forsake us. Amen? So that no matter where we go, that every place that where we, our feet go, he will give to us. Sometimes there's just battles in the way. There's giants in the land that get in the way and we can run off and get in the closet and suck our thumb because it was a tough battle or whatever. But God is the one that fights our battles for us. We just have to show up. And it helps when we do it with being very strong and very courageous. So Joshua was given an assignment. That was his assignment. I love the word Joshua, the name Joshua. It's also Jesus' name, Yeshua. It means deliverer. I'm just going to let that hang there for a minute. Joshua had an assignment, and he was assured uh, that God would always be with him uh, to guide and give him the victory. I'm reading my notes, sorry. Hmm. So the Exodus story, this is the still part of the Exodus story, although it's tr transferred to a new book, we put Joshua on there, it's finishing it. So often with our soteriology, with our salvation experience, we've put so much emphasis on the coming out of Egypt when even more important or just as important or just as much emphasis should be on the fact that you're going into the promised land. It wasn't that you, if, if all we're worried about was that we came out of Egypt, we'll get stuck in the wilderness. God has given us a kingdom Jesus Christ came and he took death, the power of death away from Satan and he transferred us into his kingdom and he handed the baton to you and he said, occupy till I come. Take ground. Ah. In salvation history, salvation is the same. This idea, Jesus, Joshua, deliverance. But we so often... Think about what we're coming out of, not what we're going into. I think I have a quote here. There it is. The salvific purposes of God are as much about what we're being delivered into as out of. Just let that simmer in your pot for a minute. We're called to something great. Ugh. There's this whole thing that I probably won't get into this morning, but just how Yeshua actually announced the new exodus at his baptism. He went straight from the baptism, the parting of the water, so to speak, into the wilderness to be tested by the devil and came out in the power of the spirit, preaching the kingdom and demonstrating the kingdom. 
That's probably another message some other day. And we look at the end of the Gospels, right? And as he's talking to uh, James, John, and Peter, probably more Peter and John, at the end of the book of John, right? Chapter one, or chapter 21, sorry. What does he say? That the, the highlighted things that Christ has to say is, love me, if do you love me, Peter? If you love me, feed my sheep. And then he repeats several times, follow me. Follow me. Do what I did. The end of Matthew goes like this, Matthew 28, 18 through 20. And Jesus came and he said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. I will never leave you or forsake you. Our mighty Savior, our Deliverer, continues to march his way into new territory as we go with him and we carry out that kingdom purpose. And so, so often, our soteriology is about our, our salvation experience, is about what we get out of the deal, but there's a lot more that came with the deal. You get to now be part of the deal. And as a matter of fact, we're actually neglecting that working out our salvation with fear and trembling. It's not about just, you know, I had this habit or that habit or whatever. It's that new life impacts everything that you do. The whole world around you, that the, the impossible is possible every day. That in the Lord, in the Holy Spirit, the, the rules are all changed. The stuff that the world wrestles with, that doesn't apply to you anymore. Sort of, but not quite. We have the ability to step into this miraculous kingdom of God. Whether we're seeing it or not, y'all notice this? Hallelujah. God is good. Before I get there, I got a little bit more in Joshua. So Joshua chapter three. All right, so he's told them to be very bold and courageous. What does it look like, right? They cross over the Jordan. Here's a story about uh, where they cross over the Jordan. 314. In verse 14, it says, So when the people set out from their tents to pass over the Jordan with the priests bearing the ark of the covenant before the people, and as soon as those bearing the ark had come as far as the Jordan, and the feet of the priests bearing the ark were dipped in the brink of the water, in parentheses, it says, Now the Jordan overflows all its banks throughout the time of harvest. So this was emphasis implied because it was no small miracle talking about a river that's raging and over, overflowing its banks. The waters coming down from above, they stood and rose up in a heap very far away, meaning that the water just stopped and piled up like a hill. That's mind-blowing. At Adam, I guess that was a town, the city that is beside Zarethan. And those flowing down toward the Sea of the Arabah, the Salt Sea, were completely cut off. So on the other side of where... The Ark of the Covenant was no water flowing. And the people passed over opposite Jericho. Now the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firmly 
And this is the verse I want to highlight, verse 17. Now, the priest bearing the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firmly on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan. And all Israel was passing over on dry ground until all the nation finished passing over the Jordan. You know that you're a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people. We talk about the priesthood of the believer. Part of our role at being priests is carrying the presence of God and that the natural forces of this world are subject to the presence of God and that all we have to do is carry him wherever we go. Their feet, when it touched the water, the waters immediately stopped and stood up. But an even bigger miracle is that they didn't do it apart. It wasn't just about their priestly role. The whole entire nation of Israel crossed over on dry land. What I'm saying is that our job is not done whether we feel like it or not. Our job will not be done until people are all walking in this salvation with us. There is a kingdom bringing responsibility to go into the promised land. Yeah, we're going to deliver people. He delivers people. We introduce them to the presence of God and everything changes. Hallelujah. Revival comes when ready hearts collide with the power of God. Revival comes when ready hearts collide with the power of God. I think that's Banning Leafshire. One of the 12 books I'm reading all at the same time. So listen. It really matters what we do. And it certainly helps when we set our affections, when we're passionate. But even when we're not passionate, we can lean into our convictions because God has established this deal. We know that we're secure in the bosom of the Lord. We don't have to worry about self-preservation, self-gratification. He's gonna meet all of your needs. But guess what? Sometimes it gets a little bit Hard and we get to suffer with Christ. What an amazing opportunity that we get to suffer with him. And we share in his sufferings, we'll also be able to share in his resurrection. Hallelujah. Maybe I'll say something about resurrection in, in Easter as we come up to Easter. All right, here's what we're gonna do. Brad, come on up here. Oh, that was a fancy way to say, guys, when one member of the body suffers, they all suffer. And when one rejoices, we all get to rejoice together. We're caught up in Christ together. It's in him, right? That's he is where our life is. And we're all a part of that family. And we have 20 catch the fire churches in Ukraine. And you're not gonna hear me teach an eschatological kind of a message that at the end of the world, you know, Ezekiel 38 or something is coming to pass. I don't, I don't buy into that version of, theology or eschatology, that that's why, you know, Gog and Magog are happening. That's not what's going on. We've, he's taken the power away from the enemy, okay? But there's still evil present in our world. And it's the church is actually the answer that carrying the torch, carrying the presence of God into each and every one of those places that we can actually impact uh, the world by our prayers, by our love, by our things that we do, what you do matters. All of it will be transferred over in that glorious day when curtains are rised and everything is finally and forever 
set in place the, the great new world that God has started in Christ Jesus at his resurrection. Uh, that was a mouthful. Y'all still with me? Okay, so what we're gonna do based on that is we're gonna actually let the Holy Spirit move and speak to us as we lift up the people in Ukraine. We have brothers and sisters uh, there in Ukraine. I, I had a video that I like to play, but I, I think it was like on Facebook, um, uh, Gwen Slade, so Dan Slade's wife, she had posted in a CTF pastor, but it was a video of a church in Ukraine. It looked just like this. And they're singing in whatever, what is that, Slavic? What's that? They're singing the same songs we do, but in their language, worshiping King Jesus. They had six people up on the stage, you know, look just like us. And they're in trouble right now. I mean, what's going on? There's a bully. We know it's straight from the pit of hell. But there are other people that need the Lord's presence, amen, that have not bowed the knee to the Lord, that their convictions are all about they're being ruled by death and the fear of death. And so they're grabbing at resources and whatever it is that they're doing over there. And I can't help but feel like it's somehow they're coming after Israel. I don't know about that. I'm not a political major or something. But what we can do in this moment is that we can lift them up, that we can declare freedom, we can declare ceasefire in Jesus' name. That's what, I'm, that's what I'm declaring. And that every wicked thing be uncovered and every dark thing be brought to light. The kingdom of God will actually expand from this. And it is. Kelly, didn't you show a video of people getting saved, like people that know the gospel there in Ukraine, but they're flooding into the churches right now, as they should, because there's nothing like a crisis to open your eyes to the reality that there's a much bigger world and much bigger narrative going on than just somebody's greedy for oil. It's the devil, and he wants to steal, kill, and destroy. I'm going to turn it over to Brad. We're going to, we're going to pray. So I'm asking you right now to just, uh, as we spend a few moments exalting God, it, it really matters that you first, before we just go, you know, like trying to beg God. Y'all heard Steve last week where he was talking about prayer and how, you know, often we feel like we have to tell God all about it or have to ask him to do something that he's already done or what he already wants to do. Listen, it, it matters to exalt his name to actually focus for a few minutes on these convictions, this understanding of who he is, of all of his power and all of his might as we just worshiped about. Hey, worship team, can we kind of do that some more? Is that okay? Y'all cool with that? Uh, what was... Um, <laughs> Any of those songs, I think. Maybe just uh, lead us in that. Y'all okay with that? Sorry, I should have told you ahead of time. But I mean, to just acknowledge the power and the glory and the greatness of his, of his might and of his kingdom. And then through that, declare like a, like a patriot missile. <laughs> oh, yeah, I should probably testify. Um, Noah, do you have that? X-ray image. Before we start praying, just a little bit of fuel in the tank, so to speak. Y'all probably noticed that I'm not on the scooter and I'm not wearing a brace. <laughs> not to bore you with the saga of what's going on with that, but I'm so thankful to be standing on two feet and walking. Um, I went to the doctor Friday. Let me back it up just a hair. I had, three weeks ago, the doctor did an injection in my heel right into the tendon. Uh, it's, 
Achilles tendonitis, excruciatingly painful. If I've been a little off, it's because of that. Uh, up here preaching and doing stuff with, you know, so much pain, I felt like I could throw up. But anyways, um, basically, uh, here's the heel bone and your tendon is fibrous this way and attaches there and goes up into your calf, the biggest tendon in, in your body. And um, tendonitis is not a tear this way. It's more of a rip this way. And so there's a bone spur on the back. There was a bone spur on the back of my heel uh, that was, you know, like rubbing a hole in, my, in, in the tendon and keep the tendon uh, from popping loose. So anyways, I go to the doctor Friday and this over here was in November. That's the bone spur. And that was Friday. You can actually see that the bone spur is detached and floating around in the tendon a little bit. But uh, she had done a, uh, a shot that was just um, umbilical cord fluid. Uh, the idea there was that uh, mama's got lots of uh, nutrients and stuff that are nuclear charged and they shoot that in there and it gets the, for older people like myself, it gets the blood and everything flowing and starts healing properties. So natural, it's not stem cell or anything like that. Uh, but it was very expensive and experimental. They don't, the insurance won't pay for that. Anyways, so I go to the doctor, right? And she does the x-ray. Oh, I'm sorry. For about a week after that, you know, actually I stayed off of it two weeks with the injection. Then I go to the doctor and she says, hey, you're looking good. You can start walking. Here's some special shoes, all that, right? Um, I walk for about five days and it blows up again. And I'm pretty much thinking, okay, yeah, it started forming the tendon back together, but if the bone spur's still there, as soon as I start walking on it again, it's rubbing a hole in it again. So here I am like, oh Lord, I've wasted all this money. And here I am back in the same position. Y'all saw me rolling around the scooter. So humiliating, humiliating to be in a boot and on a scooter. And um, I just don't like that. Besides, I can't do anything, right? But we had uh, three other Catch the Fire churches with us last uh, Friday and Saturday. And we met, we spent time together. We worshiped together in the middle of worship service. Uh, the worship pastor, I'm trying to, David, what's his name, David? Pelkey. He, he just gets a sense from the Lord that the Holy Spirit says, pray for his foot right now. And so the whole team of them, mob me and pray for me. And we have been praying, right, Dave? We saw some, it was like this warfare thing going on. We'd pray and it started to get better. And then, you know, I would push it a little too much and it would come back. I'm not even sure. But I think if the bone spur is moving its way through, as that tries to heal, there's always, anyways, they pray for me. I continued to wear the boot because I'm like, thank you. I'm, I felt the Lord, I felt the Lord in that. <laughs> But I continued to wear the boot for a couple, couple of more days. And then I officiated a wedding for uh, the Maxis and the, the, uh, Chris's daughter. And I really didn't want to be in the wedding with the boot on. Anyways, I took the boot off and I said, wow, that's amazing. I'm okay. And when I went back to the doctor Friday, that's what she pulled up. And she says, I can't believe it. That's amazing. That shot does more than it. I've never seen a a Wharton jelly shot break up a break up a bone spur before, and I'm like, yeah, I don't think your shot broke up a bone spur. Uh, but anyways, my point is that sometimes we pray and we get some breakthrough, and then 
All of a sudden, it seems like our prayers went nowhere, but guess what? Pray without ceasing, continue to lean in and pray because our prayers do matter. So we're gonna pray together. So how about we all stand up and just kind of get in battle formation? Could, could y'all do that? There's something that I've discovered about when I pray with the saints. I feel like I'm on a World War II bomber and I climbed in the gun turret, you know? I want you to see yourself with the leather hat on and you're there in the gun turret. You have all the authority and all the power of heaven at your resources and we're just gonna unload on the enemy. Take it away, Brad. Thank you for listening to the Consumed Church weekly podcast. This entire service and others can be viewed on our Facebook and YouTube channels. If you would like to partner with us in raising the next generation of kingdom bringers, you can do so at theconsumedchurch.com slash give.